Excuse me, but I couldn't help but notice that you are a tortured young man in France in 1900. Oh, yes, that's right. I'm a writer. I've come here to experience the Bohemian lifestyle. I, I believe in love. Be quiet. Shut up. Put this rag I'm in your sorry. mouth. Shh, be quiet. <coughs> Look, if you're going to join our art gang, you have to pretend that you love the things. What are they again? Freedom. Do you like that? Of course. You I do. love Shut freedom. Up. Yes, it's all I... Who said to take the rag out of your mouth? Do you like... Uh, I'm sorry, I'll put else? it back in. <laughs> what else? Is it fromage? Do you like fromage? <laughs> I take that as a yes. What about love? Do you stupid about love? <laughs> Great, okay. Now, let's... <laughs> let's, let's waterboard him with the rag in his mouth with this absinthe. A little uh, supper? Maybe some champagne. I'd rather just uh, get it over and done with. Hey everybody, welcome to Late Seating. I'm Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation. It's Moulin Rouge. Gotta hate it. Hey, you're stealing my gimmick. Uh-uh. No. I'm, no, I get to say I'm, it first this time. I'm. Oh, I'm glad we uh. both hate it. I feel so close. We're, were like you brothers. afraid? Were you afraid? No, no, that I, I was going to be wasn't. like, I love this. This is my favorite movie. I wasn't. I did not expect that. No. Okay, I, good. Hey, everybody. <laughs> we're going to be reviewing Moulin Rouge, the classic 2001 uh, musical. Moulin if, Rouge! Exclamation point! If you believe the copying and pasting popular music from the last thirty years into a movie is being a musical then great but it's not that's not i don't know what it is i've I, for the first 30 minutes i thought i was i had taken speed by accident because boy that's oh steve hey steve do you have any trivia yes. for moulin rouge do you great i i do have some trivia for moulin hurry up rouge. and do it so we can be done so we can be done because i know what are your terrible choices and i want to get to that oh good why can't we just go okay. straight to that? <laughs> we both hated it. Okay, A, B, or C. <laughs> uh, so, okay, here's some trivia. Jim okay. Broadbent, Jim Broadbent based his performance in the movie as Zidler on Baz Luhrmann. Good for him. Which, which just reinforces my pre-existing assumption that Baz Luhrmann is fucking insufferable. I, no, I like. Um, I actually like Jim Broadbent in almost everything. He, oh, he's, he's a great he's, actor. He's, he's working hard in this movie. He's Come a on. great actor. There, look, there are, I mean, we're not doing the review yet, but I will say up front, there are a ton of incredibly talented people in this movie. That's right. That's right. Who have all done better work. Sure. Um, here's, a, here's, a, here's a piece of trivia for you. Mm -hmm. several, several artists declined to allow their songs to be used in the film, including Cat Stevens and the Rolling Stones, or as I like to call them, the real heroes. But say that again. I was reading a, a quote on this movie. What did you say? Cat, Cat Stevens and the Rolling Stones yeah. declined permission to allow their songs to be used in the movie. And so sure. I, I like to call them the real heroes. Whatever. You know? Cat Stevens is not a hero. Well, he's a hero for not letting his song be used in this film. He's not a hero, period. You know what happened to Cat Stevens. You be quiet. 
I'm just saying, you know, because he didn't let his song be. Oh, used. just because he didn't. He wasn't going to let anybody use any of his songs because he turned into a weirdo. We well, converted to Islam. Yeah. Same difference, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nicole Kidman broke two ribs. That was a joke. Yeah, because I punched I her know. stomach and said, what are you doing in this movie? No, that's what? harder. No, uh, Nicole Kidman <laughs> broke two. Nicole Kidman broke two ribs and injured her knee during rehearsals for the film. As a result, she filmed several scenes in a wheelchair where she was shot where where she was shot in close up or medium shot. She mm -hmm. also had to drop out of the film Panic Room due to her injuries. That's so, right. Because she made this Baz Luhrmann movie, she didn't get to make a David Fincher movie. I would have sued somebody. Uh, even though Panic Room isn't like a great movie, but still it's like, oh, I don't get to work with David Fincher, a good director, because I made this movie. Oh, she, she gets an Academy with, Award later. Shut up. With She's this, fine. With She's this hyperactive rich. child directing it. That's, yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh, I feel so bad for Nicole Kidman, said no one ever. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh she's no. rich and beautiful and famous. Oh no, I'm, I hope she's okay. <laughs> well, she was she was married to Tom That's Cruise true. for a while. She was she was, but now but she got out of that. Yeah, she did. Yeah. She escaped. Good for her. Yay. Um, okay, one last piece of trivia. Okay. <laughs> Filming ran behind schedule and the production actually had to vacate its uh uh it's a soundstage at uh, Fox Studios in Sydney, Australia, where they were shooting in mm -hmm. order to make room for the next film that was set to start shooting there, which was Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Oh, boy. Garbage eating garbage. <laughs> Talk about they, a cursed soundstage. Did they burn the soundstage <laughs> down after that? I feel like there should have been some kind of cleansing ritual like or. They should have had a priest come in and splash holy water on it or something like. Hey, Steve, why were they yeah. filming Attack of the Clones in Australia? It's I not like no they were idea. doing. I don't know why. Because they were given huge tax breaks. That's because why. of the money. Because of the money. Yeah. Because the money. Hey, Steve, can I tell everybody who made it? Yeah, I would love that. Boz Lerman did it. The end. I'm done. <laughs> he did everything. <laughs> you need to know. Who directed it? Boz Lerman. What else has he directed? Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, and The Great Gatsby. Who wrote it? Boz Lerman did. What did he do? He Listen sure to did. the last sentence I just said, guys. I'm not going to redeem myself. <laughs> All the over, same stuff. <laughs> over again. Also written by Craig Pierce. What else has he written? I don't want to repeat the same three movies that I just said. So there. Produced by Martin Brown. Nothing. And by Bos Lerman, whatever, and Fred Barron didn't bother to look up. Okay, great. Starring Nicole Kidman as Satine. Nicole Kidman has been in other movies. Uh, what else? She was. She played. She played the the, the writer that kills herself. Oh, in the hours. Yeah. In the hours, she won an Academy yeah. Award for playing. She that did. Part. Yes, she did. She was quite That's good. Right. Yeah, yeah, and she's been in other things. Yeah, like Batman Forever. Like Batman, there you go. She was in a Batman movie. She had the thankless job in the night one as one of the myriad of women who got to play yes. Batman's girlfriend for one movie. For and one, then never movie. be mentioned again. 
Ewan McGregor is Christian, and you know him from the Star Wars. He didn't have to go anywhere, did he? No, he just yeah, went he directly just kinda, from he, this right to, to Attack he, of the Clones. He just waited for the trucks to pull up, I guess. I've been here the whole time. Yeah, he Ready stepped, to go. He stepped out of that glitter nightmare, and he walked directly into here. Glue this beard on your face. You're Obi-Wan now. <laughs> glue this beard on and stand in front of that blue screen. Yeah. Jim Broadbent is Harold Zidler, and you know him. He's been he's a character actor. He's been in everything. You probably remember him from Harry Potter, but every British person was in Harry Potter. Contractually, they had to. So true. I don't that's true. Richard Roxburgh is the Duke of Monroth, and you know him from Mission Impossible 2 and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and other wastes of your time. <laughs> now the third one is the third one is Van Helsing. John Leguizamo was Henri de la Toulouse La Trek. You know him from the Super Mario Brothers movie. That's it. That's all Luigi. He, that's, that's all he deserves. That's all he's been in this and Super Mario. Fucking how about we how about we rope up the trifecta? He was also in uh The Happening. There you go. There you go. Congratulations, John. Mm-hmm. Jacek Coleman as the unconscious Argentinian. That's his that's his name in the movie. That's the name of a character in this two hour film. Yes. He's also been in Children of Men and the Great Gatsby. Carol O'Connor as Neen as Nene Legs in the Air. Nothing. Carrie Walker as Marie. Nothing. Lara McKay Mulcahy. Mulcahy? I think that's Mulcahy. As as Mama Fromage. Nothing. Gary McDonald as the doctor. Nothing. Matthew Witten as Staddy. (laughs) Nothing. David Wenham. Can you believe this? Are you ready? Screw your head on. You know who David Wenham is, right? He was in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, yes. He played, yes. played Faramir and he was in 300. Do you know he, who he plays in this movie? He's uh, Audrey, um, the writer, the original writer who, yeah, fucking who Who's, Christian replaces. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning of yeah. the movie, Audrey, yeah, I think, yeah. is implied to be transsexual. Yeah. Or at least, I don't know. I don't know. That's him. Yay. Karuna Stamel as La Petite Princesse. Princess. I don't, I'm losing my ability to speak. Nothing. Deborah Alperé as La Chocolat. Nothing. Kylie Minogue as the Green Fairy. She's a singer. Ozzy Osbourne is the voice of the Green Fairy. Why did they do that? I don't know. You tell me. You tell me why they replaced Kylie <laughs> Minogue's voice. I don't know why they did it with, I don't it's know. It's not why like she's a famous there. singer or anything. Peter Whitford is the stage manager. Nothing. Linnell Haft is Warner. Nothing. All the rest of these are nothing. I'm not doing it. I'm not reading the rest. There's 17 more names here. I'm not doing it. I don't Fuck care. Em. Fuck all of them. Cinematography by Donald M. McAlpine. And he's done movies like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Predator. He did Predator, and then the cinematographer of Predator is also the, the cinematographer <laughs> of Moulin Rouge. Exactly. Edited by Jill Billcock, and she's edited movies like Road to Perdition and Elizabeth the Golden Age. Music by Craig Armstrong, and he's done music for other great films that we loved, like Love Actually. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, Craig. But also World Trade Center and Elizabeth. 
Production company, Basmark Productions, distributed by 20th Century Fox. Release dates, June 1st, 2001. Running time, 128 minutes. Budget, $50 million. Box office, $179.2 million. And it was a huge success, and it was nominated for Academy Awards. And lots and lots of people love this movie, don't they, Steve? Oh, my fucking God, yes. We, we love sure it. sure do, Jason. We love it, too. I love that it's not one second longer than it is. That's what I, I, love, I love. I love that I'm not watching it anymore. Uh, <laughs> my favorite part is that I'm not watching it right now. That's right. So, Steve, are you? Yes. Let's put on all of. Let's just put on all the clothes. Let's put on all the let's, clothes. Yes. Put makeup on her face. Let's drink absinthe until. And until we until we hallucinate, I'm not let's, sure. Let's let's dress up and make up like we're performers in a circus in hell. Okay, there we go. And let's run into the hey, someone made a movie on crank movie. Moulin, <laughs> Moulin Rouge, Steve. Yes, yes, kill me. Kill me, no, Steve. No, I can't. Not yet. We have to do this first. Okay, fine. Go for it. Go mm, for it. So, Steve. how does this open? Oh, you! I love how it opens. You know, what? my favorite part about my favorite part about how it opens is that it tells you everything you need to know about the movie and the person who made it. It opens with you. Uh, 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 a curtain is raised. This is one of what he calls his red curtain trilogy. It's oh, this. Of course he does. It's strictly ballroom. Shut up. Be quiet. It's this. Uh, strictly ballroom. And then Rome. Oh, and Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So a red curtain raises on the screen in the screen. Oh, yep. and also the audience, the audience in the movie applauds. So the movie begins with a round of applause for itself. Yes, pretty much true. tells you everything you need to know about yes. Bob Lerman as an artist. It does. Um, and and also there's a little conductor guy at the bottom who That's is right. conducting the 20th Century Fox fanfare. And the first yeah. time I saw the movie, I saw that and I said, oh, I'm going to hate this. <laughs> I just instantly knew as soon as I saw that little dude at the bottom, like <laughs> over conducting and throwing in. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to hate this, aren't I? Uh... Um so yeah, he conducts the 20th Century Fox fanfare and then eventually the camera moves into the screen in the screen and we get like kind of silent movie credits telling us that it's like Paris in 1900 and we get a little song kind of introducing us to Ewan McGregor's character as the camera kind of pushes through the streets and eventually settles on his window and Ewan McGregor is Christian and he's a young writer and he's narrating also. He's typing on a typewriter and he's sort of narrating as he types and telling his story. He's about sad. How he's sad because the woman he loved is dead. That's right. Um, and he tells us how, you know, he came to the to Paris, to the, the, the village of Montmartre, which is like an artist's enclave. And he came because it's 19, it's, it's 1899 when he gets there and it's the summer of love. And he's come to adopt the bohemian lifestyle and live That's as right. a penniless writer and learn all about mm -hmm. truth and love and equality and all this stuff and freedom. And he's like, yay, I'm going to do that. And then he moves into the shithole apartment and he's like, just kind of fucking around trying to decide what he's going to do. And yeah. then just so happens someone falls through his ceiling. 
yeah, a, someone falls through his ceiling and there's a theater troupe above in the apartment over above him and they're rehearsing a show. So he goes up to see what's going on and then he, and then he joins it because he, he comes up with show. better lyrics yeah. to a song or something. He comes oh, up yeah, with he the, sure hills does. Are, the hills are alive and they go, yay. For, and then for, the for the first time, for the first time and not the last time in the movie, the fictional character, quote unquote, writes a song that we all know he didn't fucking write mm-hmm. because it's a famous song that everybody knows. But in the movie, mm-hmm. to show what a great writer he is, he writes a song that we all know. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get drunk on absence. But that, what yeah. they say is we got to go and we got to convince the team to do our show. Right. Right. Because they're they want to write a show called and Spectacular Spectacular. Toulouse Lautrec is there. Yeah. Because played by noted non-dwarf John Leguizamo. That's right. <laughs> and so they they say we have to go to the Moulin Rouge to convince her to do our show right right and then they go there and they have a hallucinatory experience for like 30 fucking minutes of the show we yeah is like we see a whole bunch of the moulin rouge show which is just mm-hmm. yeah just loud girls. noises and, and just girls and, yeah. all the time and people yelling and singing and yeah. pop music and more yeah. pop music and incredibly animated incredibly like excessive and flamboyant and hyperactive hyperkinetic yeah and also so so while they're so their plan is they dressed christian up in fancy clothes Mm -hmm. and he's going to pretend to be a famous writer who has written Mm -hmm. this show that they want satine to be involved in and they've arranged for her to have uh for them to have a private meeting but it just so happens that in the very next box over is the Mm -hmm. duke and the duke is a rich guy who um uh, zidler the owner of the moulin rouge wants to get to invest in the theater Mm -hmm. and he also has been promised a private audience with satine also satine has satine oh we don't know this yet we don't know this yet but she comes out and she does the whole musical number and everyone's is like but they tell her there's a rich guy and then there's a confusing bit because they think that the poor kid is the rich guy and she and also she I can't remember how this goes. Does she hit on him first and then die of consumption? When does she pass out from whatever it is to work? She hits on him first. She hits. Yeah. She hits on him first. And mm-hmm. then she does it. She passes out at near the end of the show. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. then she, the, uh, but now they're going to go meet up in the elephant. Right. Cause she right. thinks, she thinks that the poor kid is the rich guy is the rich so, guy. And then they go up into the elephant and they embarrass themselves in front of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, they sure do. It's really hard to watch. This is when the movie turns into a farce in which she thinks that he wants to have sex with her, but he all, what he wants to do is recite his poetry and then they figure that out. And then the rich guy, the other, the other, the, the Duke, the Duke shows up and he's got to hide and then, yeah. oh God, I don't. It's, want... it's also comical. <laughs> it's also comical. Um, anyway, yeah. but 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 it ends up that Satine and Christian, oh, they're in love. They're in love because that's how things in work love. in this movie. Is that they're you're in immediately yep. in love, and he loves yep. love. 
because he says he he's love. He loves. He's never been in love, according to him. But he, but he loves, loves love. That's right. And he says, and if you ever forget it, he says it every five fucking seconds. Mm-hmm. And then he tells her something I don't know anymore. Like, you love me or something. I don't know. He's falling in love with her. And then they have this, this fucking montage of music where they're singing single lines from a whole bunch of a whole bunch of songs. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. what? And then they decide. Um, oh, the, but they convince. Oh, the, they they the convince the. Guy, they con- yeah, they convince the rich guy to invest in the show that they want to do, and and right. he's like, "When I suppose I could invest." And by the way, I'm not even exaggerating his voice. This is how he does. <laughs> that when I suppose I could invest in the show as long as she ends up with the character who reminds me of myself, and not the character right. who reminds me of the young writer who I. He's a he's a cartoon he's a cartoon character, yeah. but then again, yeah, they're all every, cartoon characters. Everybody all cartoon in this, characters. that's right. They're all cartoon characters. So then they're gonna do the show. But Satine and the main character, whose name I have come, Christian, they're Christian. like they're like making goofy faces, but trying to keep it hidden from the rich guy because he's bankrolling the show, right? Right, and he has the hots for Satine, and he wants her for himself, and mm-hmm. you know. And the yeah. show is about a poor sitar player who fall. It's set in India. Um, it's nothing but white people, and maybe like nothing, one yeah. black guy. of course they say let's set it in india (laughs) but (laughs) so they that's what they do for a really long time and uh uh-oh satine's got something she's got tuberculosis she has tuberculosis she's got yeah they say they say it at some point that she's got they told us she's she's gonna die from the very beginning so why anyone gets upset when she dies at the end i don't understand yeah we told you we we (laughs) said we mentioned like 15 times when she gets sick and then what happens she is it her father wait so is ziggler her father or is ziggler no no ziggler's just the the head of the theater okay but anyway so she Eventually, what happens is Ziggler is getting tired of not getting his dick sucked because she's supposed to be doing it. And they're convincing Ziggler that she's in love with him. So they you will continue to fund well, the, the, Duke. the Duke, the Duke, you know what yeah. I'm not Ziggler. Yeah. I don't care who gives a shit anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so but then eventually she has to break it off with the, the poor guy because money's yeah. more important and everyone's yeah, depending and Z- on this and. Ziddler says that he's going to kill Christian. No, not Ziggler. Oh, or not Ziddler. Yeah, the Duke. The, I'm the doing Duke. it too. The, the, the Duke, the has a, the Duke has a tells Ziddler he's yeah. yeah. He the Duke tells, tells Ziddler that he's going to kill Christian if if Satine doesn't come with him. That's so right. Ziddler goes to Satine and says, "Okay, you have to pretend that you don't love Christian anymore and mm. send him away. So otherwise, uh, the Duke is going to have him killed." And Satine's like, "Okay." Okay, so, so that's what she does. She's like, like I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm in love with the rich guy or something. Yeah, she does like like John Lithgow does to the Bigfoot and Harry and the Hendersons. That's right. Except yeah. now she's gonna go and have a a sexy times with the rich guy and and Christian and the troop sing Roxanne. Yeah, for for forever. Yeah, forever. And then they sing the, rich, the worst version of Roxanne you've ever heard for about three hours. The rich guy then tries to rape her. 
right? And we're like, oh no, yes. it's rape. And but then <laughs> when he's just when what he's, this movie needed, a rape. Yeah, but it didn't happen because remember the black no. guy from the theater shows up and punches him yeah. out. It knocks him out. Yeah. That's right. But now it's time to do the show, and the show is stupid. Um, the show is the poor sitar player, a sitar that can only tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then sure. a rich Maharaja and the Duke said, I want the show to end with with the the Maharaja and the lady falling in love, not the lady falling in love with the poor kid. Right. Right. But now they're doing the show. Uh, Everyone's, you know, people find out that uh, Satine is trying to protect Christian because he finds out that, oh, no, if, if she doesn't, then they're going to have Christian killed because the guy's going to have yeah. Christian killed. And then he, Christian finds out about it eventually. And then they sing this gigantic song at the very end. Yeah. And mole, the rich guy has been thwarted, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing actually happens to him unless I'm not remembering it. Not, you know, I mean, he gets punched out, but like he nothing actually out. happens yeah, to him. Like, yeah. And then Satine dies. Oh, and she tells she tells Christian, you have to keep going on. And then she dies. And then it turns out this is the story that Christian has been writing on his gloomy typewriter. Who would have ever guessed? And then he writes, the most important thing of all is to be is to love and be loved and returned. Yeah. In return. Right. Yeah, which they say about five fucking times in the movie. Because yeah, apparently right. when Baz Luhrmann came up with that, he thought, this is some deep shit. The end. It's over. Yep. Oh, Kurt, boy, Kurt, what a plot summary. Curtain closes. Holy shit. Was that 15 minutes? And Holy if, if that, shit. Yeah. A lot of loud, annoying <laughs> bullshit happens for about two hours and then it's over. So, Steve... Yeah, buddy. This might be our shortest review. <laughs> it might Steve. be. It might be our shortest review for a while. Yeah. Because fucking um, nothing happens in this movie. It is two yeah. hours of singing. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Singing pop songs. Yeah. Uh, Steve, how do you feel oh. about this, this musical classic? Uh-huh. And don't worry, I'm going to make it up to you after after we're done with this part. Oh, how, how do you feel about Moulin Rouge? Um, <laughs> so here, here's a little anecdote to illustrate how I feel about the movie. Um, you know how when you watch a movie on Amazon Prime, when the movie is almost over, like a little icon for what you can watch next, like pops up in the lower right corner of the screen. Mm-hmm. It's like, the, you know, so I'm watching Moulin Rouge and it's near the end. Like he's at the typewriter typing out the end of his little story. And with about 30 seconds to go before the credits, one of those up next icons pops up Mm -hmm. and it's for and it's for Billy Madison. (laughs) And after sitting through this movie for two hours, I thought to myself, oh, man, Billy Madison sounds great right about now. Mm, I've Um, never I've never seen that movie. It's not great, but it's a hell of a lot better than Moulin Rouge. Um, (laughs) I mean, like I said, when we started the the summary, like the movie literally begins with a round of applause for itself. Mm-hmm. And if that that that's that's your cue like that, this is what this movie is going to be um, judged purely in terms of what is on screen. 
in terms of its content and style. Mm-hmm. This is, I think this is the worst movie I have ever reviewed for this podcast. You're kidding. Come on. Uh, no. Yeah. Um, Dude. Now it's, it's not, uh, let me finish. It's not morally repugnant like birth of a nation. Right. So I can't say uh, it's the worst period because there's nothing. It's not like an evil movie, right? Birth of a nation is like an evil movie. So that goes above and be like, there are things that go beyond what's on the screen and that, mm. you know, need to be considered, but just based on what's on the screen, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. There's not a, and again, this is, I promise you, this is not an exaggeration. There is not a moment of it that works for me. Um, literally there's not a second of this movie that works. There's not a frame that doesn't feel false or manufactured Wait or obnoxious or you grossly didn't... indulgent. Yeah. You didn't what? cry at the end. God, no. So I many cried because of, it was so two hours of, of my life that was over. So um, many of the reviews that I've seen, they're always saying, oh, I cried again, or it's been 10 years and I cried. I'm like, I what are you crying? It. What are you crying for? Who are you crying yeah. for? They told you at you the very beginning. Satine dies. And and I'm sorry. I mean, look, look, people watch things differently. It's all a matter of taste. Sure. I you to me, when a movie makes me cry, it's because I care about the people in it. I care about the characters and I care sure. about what has happened to them. Yeah. And if something sad happens to them, I'm sad because I feel for them. Or if something happy happens, sometimes if it's so, if it's such a joyous ending, I might cry for that because I'm so happy that things worked out for them. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot fathom why anyone would care about any of these characters. Because deep um, down in some people, no, no, some people, not all people, but a lot of people lives a 12 year old girl who's never experienced romance, but has an idea of what it is. I get who, it. Yeah, I get has, it. You know what I mean? Not a girl, but a 12-year-old in general. Not yeah, just a with girl. no actual experience. With a no actual. Uh, uh, yeah. Exactly. Where a love happens. Concept at the, of love. It happens at the drop of a hat. And oh, these two should have been together. But oh, isn't it sad that they can't be together because she fucking died of tuberculosis or whatever it is yeah. that she died of. Um, You know, it's kind of like why it's the same question people ask is. Why did the Twilight movies do so well? Right? Oh, yeah. Well, because, yeah, because teenagers went to see him. Yeah. Yeah. Teenagers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, like I said, if you like the movie, you like the movie. I don't get it. I think it's fucking insufferable from beginning to end. Um, it's a shallow movie that thinks it's deep about shallow people who mm -hmm. think they're deep. So mm -hmm. at least it's consistent there. It's it's loud. It's bright. It's unpleasant. It's unrelenting. Like we said already, mm -hmm. the characters are all cartoons. Um, the plot uses elements of farce without any of the wit or cleverness necessary to pull it off. Mm -hmm. It's overwrought. It's melodramatic. It's false. The bohemian characters are obsessed with finding truth, but the film has not a single true moment in it. Mm -hmm. It's all everything. Artifice. Everything in it is artifice. Everything in it, the characters, the setting, the plot is phony and contrived in the most inelegant, heavy-handed way imaginable. Mm. Aside every, from being yeah. aside from being attractive, why why did the two of them fall in love? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
Um, almost every line is either shouted or whispered theatrically. Mm-hmm. Every supposedly significant moment is shown in slow motion and extreme close up. It's italicized and bold faced and triple mm-hmm. underlined. Mm-hmm. There's not an ounce of subtlety or restraint in the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's and it, it, so I mentioned um, when the when when Christian quote unquote writes the lyrics to the sound of music. Mm-hmm. that's the first time he does that he does that it, it to my memory he does it one more time with like a really well-known song where mm-hmm. where it's where it's clear in the story that he's not just singing it because people sing in musicals but like he's meant to actually be making this song up in the moment yes um and i'll get to that in a second but like so the songs they use they it's it's a jukebox musical and they they're all singing like you know well-known songs in but fact i think songs, this is the first yeah. jukebox musical that i can think of yeah, and certainly the first like big successful one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing is, the songs that they use mean nothing. They're just words no. for the characters to say mm-hmm. that that superficially fit the situation. The only value that they have is in their familiarity. Sure. Um, and the 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 line that really brought that home for me was there's a scene when uh christian and satine are on top of the elephant it's when he has climbed up to meet her mm-hmm. and, and he sings to her and it's one of the ones where he like every every line is a line from a different song and and they're, they're all love songs mm-hmm. and one of the lines is from the u2 song pride in the name of love mm-hmm. which is not about romantic love no is about martin luther king yep but he doesn't but and he even changes the line because the line in the actual song is one more in the name of love meaning one more person was murdered like martin luther king was assassinated Mm -hmm. but so he changes it in in the scene to one night in the name of love Mm -hmm. because the song doesn't mean anything the song itself the original song has no value for this movie it's just it's a line that people will recognize Mm -hmm. it's a line from a song that people will know and that's it. That's all it, that's all it counts for. And there's something so vulgar about that. It's just like, oh, this song that was like, uh, you know, a really meaningful song about the, the assassination of a civil rights leader. Never mind. He mentions love. Let's use it for this scene where the guy is <laughs> quoting songs, is quoting lines from a bunch of other love songs. And we'll just we'll just work it in. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 gross. It's fucking mm. gross. Uh <laughs> Having characters, particularly Christian, supposedly writing famous songs like he does with The Sound of Music and like he does with your song, the Elton John song, which mm-hmm. he's supposedly making up on the scene there with Satine. Um, it's 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 cheating. You know, it's it's a cheap cheat. He's meant to, we're meant to think that he's a talented writer in sure. the story. And he demonstrates his talent by quote unquote writing these songs which we know he didn't write Mm -hmm. and it would be one thing if like it's a jukebox musical and the characters they sing familiar songs and characters in musicals sing songs right that's how it works yeah within the story within the story you don't usually you're not usually told oh they're writing these songs the songs just kind of happen because it's the it's the format and they're expressing Mm -hmm. their feelings and it's a musical so that's how it happens but in this movie 
we're meant to think that he is actually writing these songs. And that's a demonstration of his talent as a songwriter, except we know he didn't write that fucking song, mm -hmm. you know? So it just feels it's it, it feels like a cheat. It's like, oh, look how good of a writer he is. He wrote that Elton John song that we all know. No, he fucking didn't. <laughs> no, he fucking didn't. If you want to show what a good writer uh, is, you write a fucking song. You write your own mm -hmm. fucking song and have and it'd put those be kind of like mouth. you're telling a fictional story about a great painter. And every time you showed a painting, it was an obvious Van Gogh. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like, look at this great guy, this this character I made up who is the world's greatest painter and all of his mm -hmm. paintings are fucking famous paintings like, yeah. no, he didn't fucking paint that. It's like Matisse and Gauguin and and yeah, and Van Gogh, all of these these phenomenal painters or, or Picasso yeah. even. Yeah. And and you're like, no, that's I didn't, that's not who. No, he yeah. didn't. You know, no, you step yeah. away and it's fucking Guernica. And, and <laughs> it's like, he didn't paint that. <laughs> he did not paint that. Um, uh, I mean, you meant we uh, like Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor are both beautiful. Sure. But they are also the only principal actors who aren't made up to look like either grotesque clowns or stereotypical silent movie villains. Like they're the That's only. And yes, they are. They're, they are both like very attractive people, but they're also the only fucking normal looking people in the entire fucking now, thing. I, I do have to say this up until yes. he gets rapey. I, I do like the over the top villain. And you kind of feel a little sorry for him up to a point. And that's because he's being duped. Right. Because there, yeah. there's this whole sequence of events where they're saying, oh, we can make up all these excuses for us to be alone. And then it's him showing up, interrupting. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he's he's just innocently trying to go out with Satine. He's trying to do something with Satine. And none of it is necessarily sexual. Like he's not saying time for us to fuck every time he shows up. It's like, let's go to a right. picnic. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. So while he was the harmless not necessarily villain he is being duped it's this sudden turnaround where he's like i don't want people touching my things he has this yeah, moment where yeah. he snaps like a rubber band yeah which it turns out oh okay so he's just not some guy who we're fooling the money out of he's a bad guy so we'll be okay he's, with yeah. him yeah where he's i, I he stops being like a snidely whiplash and just turns into a psychopathic rapist who, by the yeah. way, gets punched. So I guess that learned him. It's okay. Um, <laughs> there, that evens it out. <laughs> he got punched. Unless I'm misremembering that. I, you know. I don't think anything else happens to him. Because after because because after he gets punched, we get Satine's fucking endless death scene. That's and then true. from there, we go, and then from there, we go back to Christian in the apartment. typing yeah. the thing. I guess exactly. pretty much it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I, I, I see what you're saying. I probably would have enjoyed the villain a little better if everything else in the movie wasn't exactly like that. Like everything mm -hmm. else in the movie is, is turned all the way up and it's, oh, like, it's dialed you know, way up. Yeah. The, the, the comedic sort of snidely whiplash villain. It's like, okay, but he, he, he just, he's wallpaper in this. Like he's just mm -hmm. one of a thousand over the top elements. Mm -hmm. Um, and how am so, I supposed yeah, to I mean, take this thing seriously? How am I supposed to take yeah. any of this seriously? She's dying of tuberculosis. That's sad. But I also saw the man in the moon, like, talk to me. And and I think he was yeah. singing. I'm not sure. And 
the 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 fairy on the bottle of absinthe jumped off and and multiplied itself and did a sexy dance in front of us yeah like like a prostitute tinkerbell and then all of a sudden we're at the moulin rouge and guys i yeah. i'm gonna tell you this right now do you want to know why the can can was popular steve why was the can can popular because the underwear that a lot of women wore back in the day was crotchless oh yeah so when they were kicking up their their dresses and stuff you're catching a glimpse of some stuff that would drive you know dudes crazy that's not present in this movie why isn't that present in this movie steve well because that's not romantic everybody's got underwears on that's not historically accurate (laughs) yes if only it really ruins the historical accuracy um, all right, get off yeah, this. I mean, get I, off this rag. I want to shake. Hurry up. Make all right, point. I'm almost done. <laughs> so the thing is, somewhere in here is a simple, timeless love story. Yeah, it's called La about, Boheme. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, somewhere in here is a simple, timeless love story about two people who meet by chance, who live in different worlds, who want to be together, but are pulled apart by forces more powerful than either of them. Mm-hmm. But that story is buried under such a mountain of bullshit. It hardly even matters. And it certainly doesn't seem to matter to Baz Luhrmann. Because otherwise he wouldn't have worked so tirelessly to keep putting himself between that story and the audience. Mm -hmm. One of the most unpleasant movies I've ever seen. And I hope I never have to watch it again. That's my review. Your turn next week. Boz Lerman's Romeo plus Juliet. It's better than this. (laughs) I don't like that movie a whole lot either, but it's a hell of a lot better than this. I just want to say that I agree with everything that Steve said, but there's something in here that I want to address. And that is the myth of the brilliant starving artist. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things is, is that there are plenty of artists, plenty of people get out of art school or do whatever um, that want to pursue art. But let's face it, so the only real starving artist, the only artist that we see in this is Toulouse-Lautrec. The Toulouse-Lautrec did not have a happy life. In this, he's super happy. It's Bohemian Law. He's he's a side character, and and he never seems depressed. But I can tell you right now, Toulouse Lautrec was kind of depressed. Um, he did not live a happy life, nor did many of the quote unquote Bohemian artists uh-huh. associated with that time period. Let's see, um, Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah. yeah, I when I think of him, I think of happy laughing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Not starving, trying desperately to sell his paintings. Gauguin, who who abandoned Bohemian France and then died of fucking goddamn sexually transmitted diseases in, what was it, Fiji? I think it was Fiji. Wherever he wound up. He abandoned his yeah. family in England to become a painter, and then eventually he wound up in, in somewhere in the Polynesian islands. Um None of them were terribly happy. None of them lived fantastic lives. You know, to be starving and to be an artist it, in movies, sometimes it can be portrayed as being, you know, oh, it's a lifestyle that's that's kind of enviable because they have morals. I mean, that's fucking what rent is. Rent is a bunch of fucking <laughs> artists that produce no art, but they refuse to pay their rent because 
I don't give a shit. And in this one, again, yeah. it's starving artists who get a chance and, oh, we're going to do theater and all of the melodrama and this, that, and the other thing. And I can tell you right now, I've known lots of people in theater. And there are the newbies who don't understand what it what producing theater means. And then there are the ones that are in love with theater and think it's Moulin Rouge. Because the basic thing in Moulin Rouge is you know, heightened um, emotions. And I can I can tell you that much. There's tons of, oh boy, you want an instant relationship? Get into theater, guys, because it's all over the place. You're immediately intimate with about 20 other people when you're in a show, depending on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the emotions are heightened. You have people of varying ages and varying experience levels all crowded together, usually in kind of a tiny stage. Um, and I've noticed that there are some people who love Moulin Rouge because of that. And there are some because of its heightened performances and its kinetic cutting and all this other stuff. And then there are people like me and me and Steve. And I've done a lot of theater. And quite honestly, I don't recognize theater in Moulin Rouge. I recognize the romance of theater mm-hmm. and being a being a starving artist but i've seen the reality of trying to do theater and people who are literally starving because they trying to pursue artwork as a career in the united states which is like unless you quote unquote get discovered and sell out kind of um you know you don't you don't make money as an artist you know how you make money as an artist you go work for an advertising agency you do illustrations for catalogs if those even exist anymore. You know, you don't yeah. you don't get to become the next world famous painter. And you know, there's a like a disconnect between the reality of what was going on in nineteen hundred with all of these people who weren't necessarily happy. I mean, a lot of these people, you know, the Can Can girls were doing it for money. You know, they were but according to this movie, they were having a blast doing it. I don't think yeah. all of them were having a blast doing it, right? Not all of them were having fun. Some of them walked away from the theater and got murdered by the guy who was going to take them out somewhere. It was not a, yeah. it was not fun. And so this kind of mythology, it was the summer of love, and it was 1900 in Paris, I think is largely based on their fucking posters. And I can tell you why, because yeah. I have a lot of them here because I like the art style, right? I like the art style right. that came from it, but that is glossing over. And I know fully well, it's glossing over a lot of fucking misery at that time. Misery that people are trying to wa- wash away with things like absinthe and oh. things like wine with cocaine in it. That was, yeah. that was available for you to, to purchase um and the dis- and what the other thing they don't really hit as hard although it is in this movie was the disparity between the super rich and the poor right they mentioned that these rich people come and they want to fuck the the can can girls or whatever right and all yeah. of them are in love with satine satine is like the jewel at the top but yeah you know it's kind of like yeah that was kind of there but the simple fact of the matter is is that Satine would not be able to play as hard to get as she was in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have been able to do it. She didn't have any rights. She was a woman 
even in France in 1900, she didn't, Yeah, you know, so there's a part of me. I don't like, I don't like the way this one was cut. I don't like the way, how uh, frenetic it is. We literally told the plot within like, I don't know how long it took us to do it. Maybe 15 to 20 yeah, minutes. Not very long. Yeah. This movie is two hours long. And yeah. here's the thing. You want to impress me? Write your own fucking, write your own fucking goddamn songs. Just do it. Yeah. At the time, this was pretty novel. Hey, there are a bunch of pop songs and we strung them together. Whoopity do. And then I guess everyone figured out, hey, no one's making money like that off of my music unless I authorize it. Now we're inundated with all of these yeah. goddamn pop song musicals from one artist. And everyone has done it. Billy Joel's done it. Abba's done Billy it. Joel did, yep. Yep. Everybody's done it. And it's kind of like, okay. I didn't like the movie. If if you like the movie, if people like the movie, fine. Have fun. You know, there's nothing awful in this movie. There really isn't. There's nothing that's just going to like, oh, by the way, and hate Jews at the end. There's nothing like that. Yeah, no, it's there's nothing, nothing morally repugnant in it. There's I mean, no, other no, than there's like nothing, the stuff you were talking about, like the, yeah. the, the sort of glossing over of poverty and that sort of thing. But there's no like yeah, racism glossing or over intolerance what was actually or, you know, going on yeah. in, you know, in in France at that time. And you could kind of say, because remember, it opens it opens and they show the neighborhood and it's kind of in black and white. And there's a preacher going, mm. don't go in this neighborhood. And it's kind of, they're a bunch of drunk people and you're kind of like, okay, maybe. And then they show it when he was younger before Satine died and it's vibrant and there's lights and everything and everything's beautiful. And it's kind of like, okay. So that's either the perception of the main character of the neighborhood that he's living in changes after Satine dies or the neighborhood at the beginning and at the end are the real neighborhood and he only sees it that way while he's in love with Satine because you know but who knows who knows what he's who knows what yeah. who knows the thing is is that this tries to make a whole bunch of points what are the things that are important to the bohemians steve do you remember uh uh freedom truth, love freedom truth, love beauty yeah beauty yeah beauty subjective truth subjective Love? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Freedom. Totally didn't have it if you're a woman. So none of the yeah. things in the movie. But I remember when this movie came out, so many theater people that I met not only loved this movie, but had like t-shirts that said that on them. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Beauty, truth, love, and freedom. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Whatever. How much freedom there do are... you have as a fucking poor person, you <laughs> idiot? Yeah. Enjoy your freedom when you're living in a fucking box <laughs> with no food, you fucking dumbass. Yeah. Poor people are really free. That's what we should envy poor people because they're so fucking free when they're starving on the street. But that's also the, the part of the myth of the starving artist with conviction. Oh, yeah. With, with yeah. So, you know, who has convictions. We see it in movies. We see it in plenty of movies. Jesus Christ. Reality Bites had one. Right. Oh, like, yeah. Who we, yeah, who we were supposed to admire in that movie. We we're supposed to admire him because he had. Uh, he wasn't going to make money. Yeah. He wasn't a sellout. Something. He wasn't a sellout. Right. And meanwhile, I always wanted there to be a movie where the contrast is the person that sold out and is like happy because he has food on the table. Right. Yeah. That he's not constantly s scrambling. Um. 
and but in this movie it's remember the rich people are bad poor people are good and they're right because they believe in these four things or whatever and don't get me wrong i don't have a yeah. love for rich people <laughs> well, no, well, i mean the, the the problem isn't the problem isn't the the you know putting forward that well you know poor people are good I mean, mm-hmm. some some poor people are good and some poor people are bad, just like anybody else. But like the problem is being poor is good mm-hmm. because look how great it is. You have all this freedom. You're not you're not tied mm-hmm. down by anything. You can just pursue your art. And it's like, oh, and also you can starve to death and not have a place yeah. to live. Remember what Satine's motivation in this whole thing is, is that if she if she fucks this dude, then she will become a, an actress. He wants to, yeah, I'll be a real actress. Yeah. I'll be a real actress. And it's like, okay, so we've already maintained. It's not that she wants to get rich. It's because she wants to be a real actress. Do you understand? She doesn't want to become one of those rich people. It's not the money. That's right. That's right. Ziggler is is not trying to get money out of this guy so that he can become rich. It's because he wants to open a real theater. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Sure, that's realistic. Anyway, sure. we both hate hate the fucking movie. We both don't like it. If you liked it's it, bad. fine. Fine. Yeah, if you like it, fine. I just, I do not understand it. Steve, please tell yes. me. Give me, recommend mm-hmm. something else, please. You know, it hit me like a thunderbolt as I was watching this movie. I realized which movie I was going to recommend. It's a movie... It's not quite a musical. It has some songs in it, but it's not quite what I would call a musical. Although Ewan McGregor is in it. Oh, and Ewan McGregor does sing. Mm-hmm. But it's not Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. It's Ewan yeah. McGregor and Renee Zellweger. I knew you were going to bring up this it's fucking a 2003 movie, movie <laughs> mm-hmm. called Down With Love. Yeah. That is done style of like 1950s romantic comedy 1960s yeah 1960s yeah and uh it's a doris day fucking comedy it's like yeah it's a door it's a doris day pastiche basically yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um where where uh ewan mcgregor plays like a um uh, a writer who falls in love with renee zellweger who he thinks is like who she becomes a famous writer just to get close to him and to prove that, you know, he's superficial or whatever. It's like, it's romantic comedy stuff, mm-hmm. but um, I, I, I've only seen it once, I think, but uh, I actually wound up liking it quite a lot. I thought it was very clever and very funny and definitely nails that style of movie, like to a T and I would rather watch it 10 times in a row than watch five minutes of Moulin Rouge. So, right. you know, so there's that. So, yeah, if you want to see Ewan McGregor do something kind of like this, only made by a filmmaker who, you know, actually is trying to make a good movie instead of just mm. jack off all over the screen, um, <laughs> then I would recommend Down With Love. <laughs> I, I I think it's much better than Moulin Rouge, and I highly recommend it. So there you go. That's my recommendation. Mm. Down With Love. Wow. As you guys know, I'd like to recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 2001, and I'm recommending Amelie. There you go. Hey, it's not the greatest, go. not the greatest movie in the world. A little French no. film, a little French romantic comedy about a, a woman matchmaker girl, a little pixie with a little cute little pixie haircut running around doing a bunch of shit. I believe that's what it says on the back of the video box. Yeah. <laughs> right. French girl with a little haircut running around doing a bunch of shit. It's good. It's cute. You'll like it. It's cute. It's harmless. It's good. It's charming. 
right? It doesn't feel like someone with on coke and crank was being whipped with, with you know, was being whipped to cut it faster, make it more, <laughs> make it more frenetic. It doesn't feel like the movie is two inches from your face screaming at you the entire 2000, time. 2001, with a couple of exceptions, was a shitty year in movies. It really was. It, there was nothing good coming out. I'm saying that knowing that the first Lord of the Rings film came out in 2001. That's what I mean by there was a highlight. Mm-mm. But I can't think of anything else that was good. So, yeah, Amelie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Amelie. It's good. I like go. Amelie. Hey, Steve. Yes, my friend. You're going to want to kiss me after we're done, which is fine. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay, but now we it's can time do that for you. Privately. Now yes. it's time for you to make a wonderful choice. You heard a me. wonderful choice. Oh, uh, we need it after this bullshit. I swear <laughs> <We> to God. <laughs> Did you decide after you watched the movie? Like it would yeah. be a wonderful choice this time. No, it, it's time for us to number one. We got to pull the trigger on this ten-year okay. thing that we've been talking about for ten years and not done anything about. So we're doing it. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, shit, yeah. All these movies have the same director in common. I'm not going to tell you the director is until after you've made your terrible choice. Steve, you choose A, B, or C. You don't know what the movies are. You're choosing them, but they're all from the same director. Do it. I'm going to do A. Yay, yay. It wouldn't have mattered. (laughs) It wouldn't have mattered. Any of them would have been good. Okay. So you're going to know who the, the common director is in as soon okay. as I say it, okay? <laughs> okay. Had you chosen B, we would be watching and reviewing Agiri, The Wrath of God. <gasps> oh, I know what the director is. <laughs> Had you chosen C, we would have watched and reviewed Nosferatu, The Vampire. Another excellent film. But... You chose the right one. You chose. I did. Thank God you chose A. And the movie that we're going to review next time around, directed by our good friend, Werner Herzog. Yes, yes. It's a movie about a man who wants his opera house. (laughs) Boy, does he ever. Boy, does he ever. The movie where her, all Herzog had to do was give a nod and someone would have killed Klaus Kinski for him. That's true. That's true. That's true. The next movie we're going to put on here, finally, where all we're going to do is Herzog. For both of us are going to be doing <laughs> we're Herzog. We're going to be doing it. I can't wait. Is the movie Fitzcarraldo. Fitzcarraldo. Oh. So if you guys want to get all the jokes... Then go watch Fitzcarraldo before our next review. And that's it. We're done. We're done. No more Baz Luhrmann movies. We don't have to do another one, do we? I you hope said, not. You said The Great Gatsby was good. I don't know if that's true. It's good for a Baz Luhrmann movie. It's it's good for a Baz Luhrmann movie. It's pro- of, of, the, of his films that I've seen, it's the most like an actual movie made by a real person. Everyone so, keeps telling me you know. to go watch Elvis, but I don't feel like it. Like I've told you before, Elvis has one scene almost at the end of the movie that feels like a scene from a real movie with characters. 
<laughs> and it's a good scene. And that's the thing. That's the frustrating thing about Baz Luhrmann is when mm-hmm. he like forgets what he's doing for a second and, yeah. and, and starts make and starts making an actual movie. He's not bad, but he just has to get all of his fucking Baz Luhrmann shit in. And you mean when like, he says action and then he starts doing blow off his arm and no yeah. one's paying attention to what's happening. In front exactly. Of the, okay. there, there's one scene in the Elvis movie where it's two characters having a conversation like human beings would fucking have. And it's good. And then good. it's like, and it's like, oh, right. why couldn't this be the movie? <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, yeah. now you have, you have, now you're going to finally figure if you haven't ever watched one, you're going to figure out, oh, Jesus, this is what they like when you watch. <laughs> Fitzgerald. Oh, no. Yeah, buddy, this is what we like. We've only been making Herzog jokes literally for all nine years that we've been doing this show. And this is, I mean, you're right. There is, there, there is really no wrong choice, but Fitzcarraldo is among the Herzogiest of Herzog movies. So, <laughs> I mean. It really is considering yeah. what they had to do. The, for this the, the way they, movie. the way it was shot, the subject matter, uh, Kinski's mm. doing what, I mean, it's like, it's, if no one's ever seen a Herzog movie, and you want to introduce them to the whole Herzog deal. This is mm-hmm. like a really good movie to start with. Cause it's like, That's look, true. you either like this or you won't. Yeah. <laughs> and if you like this, there's a lot more of this. <laughs> All right. That's it. Thanks guys for listening in for late seating. This is Jason Harding and go see a movie this week. And this is Steve Shives. And I would like to quote now from my review of uh, Moulin Rouge from Bizarro world. Generally, I like it. Wait a minute. That's not a quote from the movie, is it? Yeah, that's what the Duke says after they they hyperactively explain the story of their show. And he goes, well, generally, I like it. You really don't know how to do that accent, do you? Oh, don't I? <laughs> no, you don't. You have to sound more oh. slimy in your voice. No. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think I'm doing. You remember that John Lovitz character he did on Saturday Night Live where he was. No. Uh, he I forget his name. No, it was Evelyn Quint. Evelyn Quint. He was Evelyn the host of, of Quint. Uh, Tales of Ribaldry <laughs> was the sketch. <laughs> Tales of Ribaldry. <laughs> and and it would always be like it was like an overheated like 19th century like romance novel, but they would mm. they would they would only it was all like innuendo, right? They never yes. actually and it was all innuendo, and that's what he liked. He liked like mm. the naughty sort of suggestive talk, but inevitably the punchline of the sketch was always, you know, the characters eventually would just say something frankly sexual. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, the, like the, the, it would be like the, the farm hand and the two young farmers daughters. And eventually the farm hand would be like, why don't the three of us go have sex together? And then it would like <laughs> cut back to Evelyn Quint and he'd be like, no, this won't do. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. I completely, of course you remember it. I completely, I've, I've erased yeah. most of Lovitz out of my. Yeah. Because he's a bit of a prick, but he's a bit of a prick, but almost all of his funny characters are just it's him like through sheer force of will, because like the material was always fucking garbage on Saturday Night Live. It was always like he just had a voice or a personality and he just beat mm. you over the head with it until you had to laugh at it. So I know. can't complain yeah, that, because that's as, the accent as in a- my head. As an actor and and someone who was very active in the theater for a very long time, he did gift us 
Master Thespian, which oh, was yes, yes, which was one of my favorite things to do. And most actors knew of it, and they all had their own version of Master Thespian, which Master apparently Thespian. Mm-hmm. And what was great is when he would get other uh, when he got John Lithgow to do it. He was like oh, his yes. lead competitor, his mo- his his rival. Um, yes, that's Master right. Thespian yes. was whatever he called himself on that. Um, look at us talk about old John Lovett stuff, and he's not even in this. He's I was merely acting. This. Can you answer me a question, though? Yeah. About this. Okay. Could they not find a little person to play Toulouse Lautrec? Can we I, I, ever get some a, a little person to play Toulouse Lautrec? You no, know, it's it's not it's not just I mean, it's not just that it's like, you know, they couldn't find a little person to play a little person character. Mm-hmm. Um, there is exactly one black character in the entire movie. Yes. And his and his name is Chocolat. I know La Chocolat. And I and and I know that was a real person too. Like there there was a real person in that scene named La Chocolat. So it's not like mm-hmm. they just made. But it's like you don't. There's one black character in the whole movie, and his yeah. name is La Chocolat. And this mm-hmm. movie, I keep having to remind myself, this movie was made in 2001. This movie wasn't made in like 1975. <laughs> like this is. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, let's just get John Leguizamo to play the little person and we'll just do camera tricks to make him look short. And let's have no Mm -hmm. black people except for one side character that has almost no lines and nothing to do. And his name is Le Chocolat. And it's about a bunch of white people doing a stage musical set in India. Fuck it. Like, it's, you know. (laughs) Ah, Yeah, I know. I know, I know. Can we be done? And, Do we even have to think about yeah. this again? No. Do no, we? We don't. we don't. We don't have to. I mean, because I have some of his paintings up in my house. And I don't even like thinking that he's a character in this. <laughs> Stop I hurting I really him. don't. Stop. <laughs> Can you leave the poor man alone? For the love of his God. Li- his life was hard enough. Jesus Christ. I mean, he was he was a great painter. Can't you just leave him that? Do you have to turn him into the whatever he was in this movie? This giggling. What was the accent that he was doing? I have what no was he idea. Doing? They have gave no him a idea. speech and, and, impediment on top of everything else. Yeah, he has like a weird lisp. And, you know, there's that fucking. I mean, almost every actor in the movie has has a bit that they have to do where I feel embarrassed for the actor. Mm-hmm. And like with, with Nicole Kidman, it's when she's like rolling around on the floor and pretending to have orgasms over his poetry because she thinks that what that's what he wants. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, Jesus, like, why would it, it's this is embarrassing. Um, and for John Leguizamo, it's when he's up in the rafters during the show and he's like found out about the plot to kill mm-hmm. Christian if he comes back. And he's he's like running around like a fucking over caffeinated gerbil just back and forth. And he's like, oh, they're going to kill him. I have to warn him. I have to warn him. And it's like, oh, my God, I just, <laughs> God, imagine asking an actor to do this. You know, he did it's, it. It's, it's, it yeah, he did it, and I'm hopefully he got paid. Um, this is the yeah. same man who agreed to do the fucking Super Mario Brothers movie. 
That's true. That's true. And he was the fucking uh, clown in Spawn, which is another rotten ass movie. But I mean, no, no, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, again, hopefully he got paid. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. All right, we're done. Can we be done? Let's not. Let's, let's let's be done. We have things to look forward to. In two weeks, we're going That's to right. be doing Fitzcarraldo finally. That's right. We're going to see a crazy man force a, a tribe of Indians to drag a boat over a mountain. You know. Yes, that's the we, movie. We can kill him for you if you want. <laughs> and I love that his reason is, no, I need him for more scenes. I need him for more scenes. No, <laughs> I need say, him like, for no, more scenes. He didn't say, like, no, he's my scenes. friend. You, you can't my... kill him. He's not done yet. <laughs> the man, the man's documentary about their friendship is called My Best Fiend. Not yeah, my best one the, friend. <laughs> one of the best titles of a movie ever. My Best Fiend. Because Herzog almost killed him himself. Yeah. He tells that story in My Best Fiend. There's that scene in My Best Fiend where he goes back to the apartment that they shared together. Mm-hmm. Where And there's like other, and now there's like other people living there now. Yeah. So it's Werner Herzog telling the story to the people that live there now who don't know about any of this, who have no connection to this at all, except they mm-hmm. just happen to live in the, in the same place. Yeah. About how when back in the 70s, when they shared this apartment, how Klaus Kinski went on this, this like drug addled, drunken, maniacal tirade where he was like in the bathroom ranting for like two full days like Mm -hmm. he just he did not stop he did not sleep he did not calm down he just fucking went off for Mm -hmm. two solid days yep (laughs) yeah so he's the star of the movie all right let's finish can we be done all right we're done we're done yay bye everybody (laughs) bye everybody I love how we wave to the people that are still going to be watching. But anyway. I know, I know. But not for much longer. I'm wrapping this up. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash lemmelisten. And... Thanks for listening.